0: This is Virgil Walker from Just Thinking. I wanted to start out by letting you know that while we are intending to cover the issues uh, in the SBC, uh, that this is going to be a two-part series. Uh, the first part, Dale and I will cover some background information, not only about our backgrounds uh, from a standpoint of denomination and uh, kind of what we've been through, but also we'll look at a little bit about the history of the SBC. We thought this was important to do in two parts because there's so much volume to what we're going to share. So again, uh, be patient with us. This will be a two-part series. You'll definitely want to tune in for the back half. But I hope uh, as we get started, you're going to enjoy uh, what you encounter uh, in this uh, session that we have ready to go for you.
1: Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week to week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think.
0: We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am Daryl Harrison. What you know, V Dub? What's going on over there in Nebraska
0: land? Man, not much. Not much. <laughs> it's kind of you know, it, it it do what it do here in in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I'm back. I'm settled in. Um, kind of getting back into the routine of things, and so not. It's been good. We had a great. We had a great Sunday service, man. We uh, we installed uh, some some new deacons, and so uh, I, I saw excited. that on
1: your social media, man. Some great yeah, that you shared. Yeah, out there yeah.
0: I was I was really excited. Some of the young guys that that I've been discipling, man. They had they had kind of walking into that space, and so just excited for them. And hey, uh, hey can I interrupt and, and yeah. ask
1: you something real quick? Yeah, because yeah, you talk yeah. about discipling and uh, uh, some gentlemen who were are, are newly ordained into uh, the role of deacon. Can you talk about the importance of that role of, Mm -hmm. uh, of deacon in the church? Because I think it's a role that we've probably come within the church to a large extent to not appreciate the way we should. Um, I remember reading a book a couple years ago on uh, Luther's wife Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Martin Luther's wife is who I'm Mm -hmm. speaking of. And uh, in that book, uh, and I, I can't recall right now either the title or the author, but but Luther uh, is very commendable of his wife uh, and the role that she took in allowing him to conduct the ministry that he had. And he was very, very emphatic about the role of the deaconate uh, mm-hmm. is a formal word for it. So can can you just talk to us, man, for a second about the significance of the role of deacon, how important it is, you know, being ordained into that role and, and what you see that role uh, being, what the church uh, uh, benefits from, from having deacons. I, I, th- I think most of the press, uh, if I could use that word, is is uh, is garnered by pastors and elders. But deacons kind of get. Yeah. You know, ignored a little bit by the wayside, perhaps because there's so many of them. I don't know, but can you talk about that for a second, uh Omaha? Yeah, this yeah, word?
0: yeah, yeah. Just for a second, I I will, man. The the, the word uh di- diakono, uh basically is just it means through the dirt, right? Like through the dust. It's like to kick yeah. up dust. Yeah. Uh it's 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 a group of men who are ministers uh in the church. Uh, they're ministering to the body, to the needs of the body, and I'm I'm telling you, it's an incredibly important role. You know, we get it from Acts chapter six, verse two, where we where we find that 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 the apostles are making sure that they focus on the preaching of the word, and they have they they get men who serve the tables to those who are in need, and so this is an important important role. It's, I mean, you know. I, I I was about to say in large churches but really in any church any church yeah um, in in any regardless of size uh, these men really serve to make sure that those who are in need the the orphaned, the widows those who have needs in the church uh, are are cared for um these are men of service these are men of action these are men of work uh, and and so I, I for us at our church we try to identify uh men who are 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 already operating to some degree uh, in that kind of a function where they're, they're trying to help. They're trying to serve. They're looking for opportunities uh, to serve You know, brothers and sisters in the Lord that, that are in need. A lot of these guys are, now we get calls, we get calls at the church all the time with, with um, single moms who have Mm -hmm. maybe needs in their home for fixing certain things or taking care of certain things. And rather than having pastors come and do this, that's, that's the role of a deacon, a deacon would come and, and take care of some of those needs. So yeah, there, there's a big need. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to serve. Uh, it also, uh, apart from the physical labor and work, it also, in my estimation, should be something that someone is discipled to. In other words, they are, they are preparing for some role, uh, maybe in deeper ministry, uh, with regard to a teaching uh, aspect or some, some level uh, of, of, of desire to get to maybe an elder role down the road. But, um, but yeah, these are men who serve in, in our church, and it's an, it's an important, important role. Uh, they minister to the, not, not only the physical, but also at times the spiritual needs of the church.
1: Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate you sharing that, Verge, because the role of deacon is huge. It is a very, very significant uh, role uh, within the body of Christ. And uh, the men who serve in that role, not, I, I know someone who is called and discipled into that role doesn't want the attention. They don't want the spotlight on them at all. No. But I just want to recognize those brothers for a second, because I think, um, you know, and, and, and every church is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you just explained so well, uh, these guys are kind of like the infantry in the military. Yeah, they are. Uh, if, if there's a need in the church, these, are, these guys are the first responders. Mm-hmm. They're the first responders. I mean, their, their phones are, are, are ringing at all kinds of, uh, all times of night, early in mm-hmm. the morning. Mm-hmm. They are some selfless individuals. Um and and I I just thought your that was an opportunity for us to maybe expand and talk Absolutely. about that role for a second, yeah. given uh what you were mentioning occurred at your church today, yeah. uh there at Westside. So I appreciate you sharing. that. Yeah, we so, we
0: had we had a great time. man. It was great and and uh, to again to see to see those like you to the point you made, which which is so real. Most of those guys have no real desire to be up front. These are guys who have been serving and are serving in kind of the back. You know you Know back of the church, kind of behind the scenes. Uh, I, I even have one, one, a couple of the guys who've been serving, uh, when, when we go to do baptism, these guys are there handing us towels, making sure that you know that that is that that, that ministry kind of I call it the ministry of presence, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're just there, just making there. sure mm-hmm. things function in a, in a really smooth way. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you doing that, pre- taking a little bit of time. And my hope is that any of those guys who get a chance to listen to. Other podcasts will know how much they're appreciated. And, and again, just so excited for what uh, for what we got a chance to experience and seeing them walk into that space. So,
1: yeah, and definitely conveyed to them my sincere appreciation for what they do mm-hmm. there at your church. And, you know, here I am in California, but we're all one body. Absolutely. So I want to recognize and say I appreciate you, brothers, um, as well. Uh, just keep serving the Lord. Uh, and, and meeting those needs as you're as you've been called to do. So uh, much love to all of y'all. Now you mentioned Omaha that you're back. I'm back and settled in.
0: Back from where, man? Where you been, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been everywhere, man. I feel like anyway. Hey, wasn't the,
1: there wasn't there a song? Wasn't there a country music song that said that I've been everywhere, man? I've See, I don't I don't do country. I don't I don't, I don't do country. I, I, <laughs> I think I might have heard that on a commercial or something like that.
0: Don't,
1: don't think don't think I'm ever playing country See, music. You got, well, you, you,
0: you got you got some pretty eclectic taste, So I don't know you. That's I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you said you know you were country and western fans. Pretty much
1: everything but that. Okay, on my,
0: on my playlist, man.
1: Everything. Yeah, but now,
0: now let, now let me let me let me admit this. While <laughs> I was in college, man. While I was in college, Uh-oh. I went to I went to Harding University, and I was I was looking for a job. And this is this is something that the listeners nobody knows, but, but until now, since since we brought it up, Uh-oh. I actually went into interview to be a a DJ on a on a radio station. I had no idea. What kind of music the radio station played, but I was I was a public relations major. I had done some work on the college station. This was an opportunity to make some extra money during a time when it was kind of it was at, it was later than drive home time. Drive home time is usually from four to six, so after the six o'clock was over with, it would be like six to like nine o'clock. So it was kind of the dead hour. They they were yeah. looking for something. they were hiring somebody. So I I went in and applied, and sure enough, they hired me. They hey, good, good good voice, good timing. Let's let's make it work. They hired me, bro, and the guy gave me a, a box full of 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 <laughs> <laughs> of, of uh, magazine articles and things I needed to read to be up on speed up to speed so i take I'm, I'm excited, I go home, I race home, come to find out man it is a country and western station man in bro, Searcy, hold, Arkansas, hold, hold, hold on man. hold on a second bro. Hold on. <laughs> You mean
1: to tell me you apply for a job, interview for a job, and right. you had no idea who the
0: employer was? I knew who the employer was. I knew the call sign and the call letters, but I had never listened to if if you if you if you remember your college days, man, you were in a college bubble. So you didn't you didn't anything outside of the school, you didn't pay much attention to, man. So you know the no, Hold the on school... a second, man. Okay. You
1: spinning you spinning Johnny Cash, <laughs> Hank Williams, Patsy Klein. Dolly pardon you, you spinning, you I, know, I, Hank, Hank, Hank
0: Williams.
1: That was is, me, is, man. Is,
0: is that you? Is that? That was me, man. And Cersey, and Cersey, Arkansas. And Cersey, Arkansas. Now, that Omaha, hold on.
1: Hold on, hold <laughs> on. I, I, I hate to keep <laughs> interrupting you, man. Well, see, we may we may need to break out the Hammond B3 on this one. <laughs> but in this case, the B was stand for banjo.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> That we, was might need, crazy. we might need a new mascot, man. We need yeah. we
1: need the Hammond banjo. Get
0: the banjo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, hold on ever. See, you you're talking one we're talking one DJ to another, because you know just yes, I need to yes, DJ. I used to DJ house parties back in the day. Gotcha. And see, you can't even mix country music, man. No, there was no I music, mean, bro. You can't even mix it. I mean, you no. can't even, you don't even need two turntables
0: for country. No, music. there was no, 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 no no need for two turntables.
1: You just play some Conway Twitty and then yep. throw back that up with some Buck Owens or yep. Some, yep. some
0: Jim Reed, from Charlie it, Pride. I, I, it was, it was, it, <laughs> it was even worse than that, man. Because we would, we, so from six to about eight o'clock, right? was, was out, you know, was my, was time when I was on the microphone. And then after that, this AM or PM, this is PM. This This is PM at, at, at eight o'clock. What they, what the station did was they had a national affiliate that they plugged in. So Mm -hmm. I just had two hours that I needed to kind of, you know, fill in time. And then I basically babysat the station from, you know, eight to 10 o'clock. Right. um and and then wrapped up so i mean it wasn't it wasn't that in-depth or detail but that was kind of it but yeah that was my that was my time man country western bro i did not know that about you man i see i, I, did, I you didn't learned know something that new me. man we learned what, something what, what are we 80, 80 episodes in man so yeah. yeah
1: man 80 episodes and we're just now breaking <laughs> out the, the Hammond banjo three <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Man. Isn't that crazy? This is, yeah, this is something. Maybe, uh, maybe Dwayne can hook us up with some dueling banjos, a, right? For well, the outro on this episode, man. right? Like, there's some right. Dueling, dueling banjo music going on, man.
0: But no, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back from the SBC convention, man. Trying to get us back on track. Um- <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah,
1: and, and let me just make clear s b c does not stand for the southern banjo convention
0: That's no, not no southern banjo convention no southern banjo convention man not at all but no man that 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 was me back in the day man that was me back in the day,
1: yeah, so you're back from the s b c and back uh wow SBC. you know um man the, the s b c conference which wrapped up a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. Dude, I'm, I'm going to let's see. Let's go ahead and and, uh, and prep our listeners that, you know, sure. Omaha, you're going to be you're going to be uh, taking the lead on this episode mm. because you, as you already alluded to, you were there at the conference. You were there mm-hmm. the entire week. Right. You saw and heard everything. So Omaha is going to be taking lead. I'm going to be uh, Robin to his Batman today. Wow. Where normally those roles are reversed. Are
0: reversed. Absolutely. Uh,
1: so you're going to hear a lot more from uh, Omaha today than you will uh from me, but we thought it was man, this was a prime opportunity to get a first hand account because I streamed a lot of the conference and saw yeah, yeah. a lot of the uh the goings on there in Birmingham uh, a couple weeks ago. But you were there, man. We really yeah. wanted to hear from you to get your observations, your perspectives, uh emphasis on your perspectives, mm-hmm. not that you you're uh speaking uh, by proxy for anybody else. Right but we want to hear from you man what some of your observations were
0: while attending because wow that 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 convention made some noise bro in it in more did. ways than one it did it did made a lot of noise a lot of different things that were happening and man i just i you know i know i know you you're going to play robin but man i'm going to i'm going to be Pulling on you quite a bit because I'm, I'm at, this is one of those things where I this is this is part of a conversation that I definitely wanted to wanted to have with you. And so really, in my estimation, the listeners get to hear kind of you and I go back and forth with regard to some of these issues. So I'll be kind of teeing things up. There was not only the SBC conference, but there was a number of things that were happening in, in, in social media. So I, I'm definitely wanting to want your thoughts and, and would love to know your thoughts on this, because it's, again, crazy week in the world of social media. And I mean, subjects that were discussed in social media this past week uh, are, are a clear reflection of topics that, that you and I, Daryl, have covered in past episodes. It's absolutely been amazing. It's interesting. I've noticed that while the people making the commentary changes, their comments and ideas, primarily their ideas, absolutely remain the same. <clears throat> For example, on, just, on the Just Thinking podcast, man, we've covered issues like slavery reparations, uh, right? And then lo and behold... Uh, the congressional committee, the subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties, decided to use HR 40, a bill put forth by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. Now, she's a Democrat in Texas, and she the, the the bill that she put forward does this. And I quote: "It's a study. It's to study and develop reparations proposals for African Americans." In the bill, which established a commission, and the commission is just mainly a group for further study, it states that the commission shall, and I quote, examine slavery and discrimination in the colonies uh, and the United States from 1619 to the present and recommend appropriate remedies. Among other requirements, the commission shall identify one, the role of the federal and state governments in supporting the institution of slavery. Two, forms of discrimination in private, rather, in public and private sectors against freed slaves and their descendants. And three, lingering negative effects of slavery on living African Americans in society. <clears throat> Now, as I read that, I couldn't believe what I was reading, apart from being an exploratory expedition for the purpose of historic outrage and offense. There is no way to quantify some of the ideas expressed in the parameters for the commission. I said all of that to say we've we've already covered this ground long before this congressional committee held a hearing on the issue, and it's interesting to me that if we examine if we' if if we were to examine The offenses, and again, by offenses, I mean historic slavery, historic racism, which I in no way am trying to minimize. But if if we were to study that from 1619 to the present, we need to recognize that this represents some 400 years of wrongs. And again, this is next to impossible to quantify for the purpose of receiving reparations. <clears throat> I mean, seriously, bro, if we set a dollar amount, if we were going to set a dollar amount, what, what kind of a dollar amount would you attach to any specific wrong, right? But, but right. I digress. I, I, I completely digress. This simply stated, we've covered this ground in previous podcasts. And if you're new to the podcast, you can go back into the archives and listen to our episode on slavery reparations. In addition I'd recommend listening to our episode on whiteness. I I one of the things that I loved about that episode was how when you kept saying whiteness the the, the W H was really emphasized man. So that mm-hmm. was a the- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, you
1: know we we work on our diction and our uh enunciation. Elocution. Yeah, 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 elocution quite uh quite uh you know uh regularly and consistently here because we want to make sure that we come across where our listeners can understand Understand us. They can, they can understand what we're saying. uh, And not have to sort of tap back 15 seconds or 30 seconds and go like, what, what did he say? say? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, did he really say country music? What, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I said, I set all that up to say, listening to those podcasts will help our listeners with a biblical worldview on these current day issues which seem to be exploding in the culture. Daryl, any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, you know, Omaha, I appreciate you giving our listeners the background you did, uh, particularly as it relates to the information you shared about H.R. 40, the bill being put forth by Democrat Representative Sheila Jackson Lee out of Texas to and I want to quote again what you said, quote, to study and develop reparations proposals for African-Americans, unquote. And. And what you're saying, Omaha, you are absolutely right. The issue of slavery reparations is just one of many topics that are either directly or indirectly associated with that issue that we've dealt with on the Just Thinking podcast over the past several weeks. You mentioned Mm -hmm. slavery reparations episode, the episode uh, on whiteness. And I want to make it clear to our listeners that it is not our intention to retrace or retread that ground in the episode we're doing today. Right. That is not the objective of the episode. However, I do want to reiterate one thing that I've consistently said when it comes to this matter of slavery reparations. And that is this. Anyone whose timeline of slavery in America begins in 1619, mm-hmm. when the first African slaves set foot on American soil in Jamestown, Virginia, is in error in both their chronology and their anthropology. Mm-hmm. They're an error on both those fronts. Now I say that because many black Africans who were sold into slavery on American soil had already been enslaved in Africa by their fellow Africans. hmm So to to commence a timeline of slavery in America at the year 1619 is to ignore the historical reality that black Africans enslaved their own people long before there were any white slave owners in America. Mm -hmm. And not only that, black African tribespeople willingly cooperated with European slave traders to supply those individuals who were involved in that enterprise with African slaves for export not only to America but to other nations along the transatlantic slave trading routes such mm-hmm. as French and British West Indies, the Caribbean, and Brazil. Mm-hmm. I wonder if any of these Congress people right, like Sheila right. Jackson Lee have <clears throat> right. ever vacationed in Brazil. Right. You know, Brazil historically, historically Brazil records that an estimated four and a half million slaves were transported from Africa to Brazil. Brazil by far exponentially was the worst from the standpoint of nations who benefited from the transatlantic transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. It was Brazil. Four and a half million, which is more than any other nation in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. But Omaha, whoever mentions Brazil when it comes to the African slave trade? Nobody. No one. No one mentions Brazil. Mm-hmm. No one. Mm-mm. No one ever mentions Brazil. Or is is, is uh, are politicians like Sheila Jackson Lee uh, grandstanding here? Are they only concerned about the enslavement of Black Africans in America? Right. And right. not other countries? Are they just grandstanding on that issue for the sake of handing out government payouts? I mean, if you're going to have an intellectually honest conversation about slavery, which I don't believe Sheila Jackson Lee or any other pro reparations politician intends to do.
0: None of them did.
1: None of them did. Mm -mm. Nor do they. Mm -mm. This is all grandstanding. These hearings that were recently held, that was all for show. It was. And I've said from I've said before, probably on the slavery reparations episode that we did. Blacks who are holding out for a check from a reparations check for the government. okay, keep holding your breath. Keep holding your breath on that. Mm -hmm. You are not going to see one red set ever, ever. Seriously. So, again, I don't believe Sheila Jackson Lee or any other pro reparations politicians uh, intend to to take this issue very seriously. Not only that, again, you cannot begin your timeline at 1619. You have to begin at the beginning, which would take you back at least hundreds, if not mm-hmm. thousands of years prior to 1619 and the role that the ancestors of black Americans played in transacting in the enslavement of their own people. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're going to be honest, let's not play games here. Right. It's not like whoever that individual was. Who was the first to get off that slave ship and land in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619? Let's not play games here, okay? Slavery didn't be, slavery for black Africans didn't begin on that day and at that moment. Right. All right. So let's stop with the games.
0: Absolutely. I I I man, I tweeted something out as I kind of watched this whole thing unfold. I said, Do so you mean to tell me that Democrats just came to the conclusion some 400 years later and just in time for the next election cycle that hr 40 is needed to study and develop reparations proposals for african-americans come on black people don't fall for the okie doke
1: yeah i remember seeing that tweet and you know the first thing i thought of is that okay here we go with something about black democrats in this number 40 Mm -hmm. so after the civil war right was 40 acres and a mule right now here we go with hr 40 i mean what is it with black democrats in this number 40 right right you know back in the day right right omaha when back in the days one of your homies gets killed by uh, some gang activity or something what what would you do you pour out or what a 40, 40. <laughs> what i know it? you
0: i know i know you're not into numerology but man I'm, I'm that's not, coincidental man, but, right
1: but in not in it In it though, right? If 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 I wasn't sold on the sovereignty of God, I'd be like, "Wait a minute, now, wait a minute, what's going on? What's going on?" (laughs) You know. So, but but this this is this is all just a show. Mm -hmm. It's just a show, and you you know, I I don't want to again. We don't want to retread this ground, like you said, Omaha. If you want to really know our position, Mm -hmm. and the position is biblical on this issue of slavery reparations, go back and listen to the episode we did just not long ago on slavery mm-hmm. reparations. Mm-hmm. Follow that up with the uh, episode we did on uh, whiteness. Mm-hmm. And then uh, go back a little further back and check out the episode that we did on social justice. I mm-hmm. mean, we have covered this ground yes. exhaustively. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're not going to do that in this episode, but I did want to chime in on the, Inaccuracy of people who wanted to begin the timeline of slavery at 1619. No, now you need to go point. way
0: back before that. Yeah, that that that's a great point you make, and and I I I, I brought it up for the purpose of letting because we're getting new. Thankfully, man, we're getting new listeners all the time, and and they may be unaware uh, of some of the subjects that we've covered at length, and so I wanted to let them know and make them aware of kind of where they could go to find information. It's these issues because this issue won't end with these hearings. As as each and every one of the Democratic candidates for president uh, have made their platform clear, they're platforming on the issue of reparations. And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's important, again, moving forward as the election cycle begins to kind of wind up for you to have a biblical view of those particular issues. And so I just want to encourage our, our, our listeners, new and old, to go back and listen to some of those episodes now this week, still in social media. The issue of the SBC and Resolution 9 seemed to be front and center. And and Daryl was kind enough to allow me to take lead this episode. So as I, for the first time, had the opportunity to attend uh, the the Southern Baptist Convention, it was absolutely uh, amazing. And Daryl, you and I have discussed our denominational backgrounds on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to quickly remind our listeners, I did not originally come from an SBC. As far back as I can remember, uh, my parents had us in the Church of God in Christ, also known by its initials C.O.G.I.C. or Kojic. That's kind of how we we uh, we we affectionately called it, the Kojic Church. The Kojic Church is a Pentecostal Holiness Christian denomination with uh, predominantly African American membership. It reports about twelve thousand churches, over 6.5 million members in the United States, which makes it the largest Pentecostal denomination in the country from there, I would later attend a Church of Christ. So man, imagine the the ecclesiastical shift in denominational practice, right? Those in the Church of Christ worship without instruments and sing hymns in an acapella style. Uh, where I come from before, it was kind of Black church uh, mm-hmm. and in and, and a, and a Pentecostal feel. Now, while I haven't looked up the numbers, I remember that the church I attended with being at least 95 or yeah, about 95 to 98 uh, percent white with a much Wild, milder, I, I about to said wilder, <laughs> much. Yeah, that, was a,
1: that was the that was the that was the Kojic, that was the, right? That was the Kojic Church. That was the Kojic Church.
0: Yeah, it? with a with a much milder form of worship than what I experienced at the Kojic Church. And what drew me there was Christ. Not, not color. I was really focused on having a relationship with Christ and not the color of the skin of the people who attended church there. It was a dear high school friend of mine by the name of John Lindsay, uh, who would befriend me during our high school uh, years. And I would hear the gospel and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, John, my best friend in high school just so happened to attend a church of Christ. So it was easy for me to see myself attending there as a part of my ongoing discipleship. Now, it'd be later in my journey that I'd find myself falling back into some form of Pentecostalism, uh, as I was back in the day. I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which if you don't know anything about Tulsa, it is the Mecca of the Word of Faith movement. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now while I was there, I I attended Higher Dimensions Evangelistic Center, also known as H D E C. Now, how how do, you, how do you like higher dimensions for the name of a church, right? Well, you know what? That that word
1: that's become a real common uh moniker for a lot of churches. Uh hmm. a lot of contemporary churches that are sort of uh pastored by uh, or and co pastored by, you know, young African American pastors and their wives. Interesting. Uh, there's a church not far from me here in uh Valencia uh that I think is going by that very same name higher wow. dimension uh church
0: or something like that. Wow, wow. So yeah, that's that's becoming very popular to do. Interesting. Well, Netflix Netflix famous pastor Carlton Pearson was the pastor. Now I say Netflix Netflix famous uh, as there's a Netflix movie called "Come Sunday" about the rise and the fall of now apostate Pastor Carlton Pearson. I don't I don't use that term lightly. Oh in, yes, in any and, uh, in any way, shape, or form.
1: Anyone who's seen that documentary, and I've seen it,
0: mm-hmm. would understand that you're not using that term lightly, bro. No, not at all, not at all. In fact, I mean. I, as I watched that movie, Daryl, it it brought back so many memories of my personal experience in that church. I thought they did a fantastic job of of really covering the story in a very, very real way. Now, now after, I, would've, I, would've, I would I would
1: I would let me just say this real quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, watching the documentary, uh I was documentary. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like jaw dropped yeah. for the entire duration of that Netflix documentary. It was mm-hmm. unbelievable, unbelievable. Yep. So, again, it's called Come Sunday, mm-hmm. and if you've got Netflix, go out there and check it out. And, again, after watching watching it, it will definitely give you some context as to why uh, Virgil uses that word op- apostate, and I'm sure you were hesitant in using it, given yeah. your – history and relationship with yep. uh pastor Pearson and, and
0: yep. that ch- and the church. Yep, yep, absolutely. So after for me, after many starts and stops at charismatic and charismatic like churches, my wife and I would land here in Omaha at the church we currently attend, <clears throat> which is an SBC. Now we're we're not intending we were not intending rather to land at an SBC. However, I'm glad that we did, because it would be my study of God's word that would eventually lead me uh, in, in a in a process of growth and understanding of the error that was found in the previous word of faith churches that I had attended. However, if I'm honest, I, I, I had I had not studied much about the history of the SBC and, and I did not know that much about about how or where it began. Daryl. I know you've shared a bit about, about your kind of church roots. Would you, you mind sharing a little bit of that with our listeners and any other thoughts you might have?
1: Yeah, not not at all. I don't mind at all. And I just want to get a little bit of a, a, a preface out here by saying to our listeners, what you're about to hear as far as my ecclesiastical story and my background in the church is true. Every word of it is true. I am not exaggerating. I'm not embellishing. Uh, this was my experience. So um, uh, though I was not raised in an SBC church, I have spent several years of my Christian life as a member of SBC churches, a, a total of 28 years of my life to be exact have been spent as, as member, uh, members of a member of, uh, of two, uh, SBC churches. One, I was a member of at 23 for 23 years. The second one I was a member of for five years, but the very first church I can ever remember attending as a young child was not affiliated with any formal denomination at least not that i can remember that church was called the universal house of prayer okay or as we called it back then we just called it the prayer house uh, for short it was literally as the name uh will indicate it was a small house church that had been converted you know into a a small house rather that had been converted into a church and it was located on Rankin Street. That's R-A-N-K-I-N in uh, in Southeast Atlanta. So if you want to Google Rankin Street, you can get a Google map and look at where the street is located. I don't believe that the house or the uh, church is still there, yeah. but that's the street that it was on, the Universal House of Prayer, what we call the prayer house. Now, The style of worship that was conducted at the prayer house could best be described as sort of a co-mingling of traditional black Pentecostalism and, believe it or not, Roman Catholicism. Wow. Now, how is that for a a combination? Yeah, yeah. Black Pentecostalism and Roman Catholicism. Catholicism. I'm in all seriousness when I say that. The prayer house was, quote unquote, pastored. I put that in air quotes (laughs) by by a woman. Uh It was pastored by a woman.
0: People name, would not believe. People would not believe, bro, that you came from I know, a church I know. that was pastored by a woman. I know. Yeah,
1: they 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 wouldn't believe. Not only that, again, they probably find it hard believe believe that sort of uh, homogenation of Pentecostalism yeah. and Roman Catholicism. Catholicism. yeah. That's why I kind of put that sort of uh, uh, preface out there mm-hmm. because I'm uh, people probably driving off the road right now listening to this, going like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> it's true." pentecostalism and roman catholicism and then it was pastored by a woman her name was mary veronia walton that middle name is v-e-r-o-n-i-a mary veronia walton who went by the title archbishop wow that was her title wow my mother who i like to say wore the spiritual pants in my family because my father was always working mm-hmm. my mother absolutely adored Archbishop Walton, as we would call her hmm. she my mother- my mother adored her, Archbishop Walton would always be seated in the pulpit in a rather ornate wooden chair with of course Omaha the customary red crushed velvet cushioning <laughs> on the seat. <laughs> With the with and on the on the back of the chair. So on the seat and on the back of the chair, there was had to be red crushed velvet cushioning, right, Omaha. You cannot right, right. You can't, be a you Pentecostal can't do, yeah. church
0: and, and not, not have, have the everything red covered velvet. in yeah. red. Right, right.
1: So and that was to match the red carpet that was throughout the church, on the floor, right. as well as on the red crushed velvet padding on the pews. Right, right. Omaha.
0: Am I wrong? Oh, absolutely. No, no, you're spot on. This is this you're bringing back memories.
1: So and, and Archbishop Walton would actually have a gold miter in her hand. Oh wow. She would have a gold miter in her hand then for the duration of the service as if she was actually a Roman Catholic Archbishop. And check this, Omaha. This is the kicker. At the end of every worship service, everyone in the congregation was re- required to get up out of the pews and walk one pew at a time. Up to Archbishop Walton and kiss this ring that she wore on the the ring oh, finger of her left hand. Oh my
0: goodness, you have got to be kidding me! Yeah. So as
1: amazing <laughs> as your as amazing as your ecclesial road to Christ has been, uh huh, which is which is amazing. You have an amazing story, bro, and our listeners yeah. they don't even know the yeah, the, know. the the depth of your story. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. I'm like
1: this one right here might be a little bit crazier. Yeah. So we would have to walk up. And kiss Archbishop Walton's ring. Huh. She wore a big ring. It, it, it was a gold ring with a red uh, stone inlaid in it, and it had a gold cross laid over overlaid on, on top of the stone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's the ecclesial environment that I grew up in.
0: Wow! You know,
1: but but later on in life, as I mentioned earlier, I was a member for many years at First Baptist Church of Atlanta, which is a uh, very influential SBC church. Uh, where Dr. Charles F. Stanley is still the senior pastor mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> From there, I was a member at First Baptist Church of Covington, Georgia, which is not an SBC-affiliated church, I don't believe. But there's an interesting backstory to the five years that I spent at First Baptist Covington. So I joined First Baptist Covington, Georgia in 2009 after leaving First Baptist Atlanta, where I had spent 23 years. Uh, wow. I left. I left First Baptist Atlanta because I purchased a house in Covington, Georgia and wanted to find a church that was closer to home. Now, as part of the process of becoming a a member at First Baptist Covington, I went through, like you do at every Baptist church, a new members class, right? Mm -hmm. So where where I started to learn about the history of the church, as well as its doctrinal distinctives, you know, its statement of beliefs and things like that, opportunities to serve in the church, etc. Now, What's interesting about first Baptist Covington is that their origins date back to 1823 when it was, yeah, they go way back to 1823. It was then called Bethlehem Baptist church. So first Baptist Covington was founded in 1823, but it wasn't until 1827 that the then Bethlehem Baptist church voted. They had to hold a vote on whether to allow black people to become members. Now, this obviously begs the question, why would any so-called Christian, quote-unquote, church, regardless of denomination, have to vote on whether Mm -hmm. to allow people who are ethnically not like them as members? Mm -hmm. Why would you have to hold up? Why would a church... Have to hold a vote. I mean, it really brings to mind last week's podcast episode that we did that's titled An Unnecessary Debate in which we posed the question, whose church is it?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: If it's Christ's church, and it is, then the only qualification should be a profession of faith. That's Romans 10.9, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. But as I said all along, denominationalism is not salvific. Every Sunday morning, Churches all over the world are filled with sinners. Mm-hmm. Redeemed sinners, yes, but sinners nonetheless.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I didn't carry a grudge when I was at First Baptist Covington for what happened back in 1827. Good, Why would man. I do that? In fact, irony of ironies, it was while I was a member there at First Baptist Covington that in 2012 I was ordained as the first non white deacon in the nearly 200 year history of that church. Wow. This is why, Omaha, just as an aside, this is why the brothers there at your church at Westside, who were today ordained as deacons, that's why that was so significant to
0: me. Yeah. Wow. That's a big deal.
1: Just imagine a church that has been around for almost 200 years. And then God gives you the privilege to make history mm-hmm. in that church. Mm-hmm. But again, every church is filled with sinners. You're either a redeemed sinner or you're an unredeemed sinner. Absolutely. Now, as all this relates to the history of the SBC, and I know you're going to go into this a little a little deeper here in just a yeah. second. As all this relates to the SBC, it shouldn't surprise anyone that sinners sin. That's good. Now, I know that may sound simplistic, but it's not. Mm-mm. we act as if we're surprised when sinners sin even christians after having their hearts regenerated by the supernatural power of the gospel still sin mm-hmm. so why are we surprised when we do that which is inherent to us yeah. as sinners yeah so again this 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 all sort of funnels up into the larger conversation that we're having about the SBCs and I know you're gonna dig in uh some yep. more about the, the roots of the SBC, the, the origins of the SBC, but as you do that, I want folks to keep in mind, we should not be surprised that sinners sin. Because that's what Absolutely. sinners do. Absolutely. In Omaha.
0: Absolutely, man. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time to walk through that for a number of reasons. One, it gives our listeners just a little bit of of kind, of kind of color, so to speak, a little background on you, on me, and kind of what we've been a part of, you know, that we didn't always grow up in, in, in the church that we're currently in and, 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 and that kind of thing, and that we've learned things along the way. I love what you said about, about the fact that sinners sin and, and the background, because as, as a part of my study into the SBC, I knew a little bit about the history uh, of, past, of, of the past regarding racism. However, it wasn't until I had a class in seminary on Baptist history in the pursuit of my Master of Divinity uh, degree, which I'm still in the process of, that I actually learned the specifics. Now, in, in the book, The Baptist Story, From English Sect to Global movement. Authors shoot, Finn, and Haken, and they get into the heart of the matter regarding the formation of the SBC. I'm going to quote a couple of things from that book. They say this, quote, the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845 foreshadowed the differences between the North and the South 16 years before the American Civil War began. The morality of slavery was the central issue. That led to the formation of the SBC, although Southern Baptists at the time emphasized missions as their main factor, precipitating their decision to form an alternate body to the Triennial Convention. Now, there's a Triennial Convention. You had Northern Baptists, you had Southern Baptists, and you had a Baptist coalition that that uh, that that was from kind of Europe, the the kind of British Baptist kind of foundation, So all of them came together to form what was called the Triennial Convention. Mm-hmm. And, and those Southern Baptists had made a decision to separate from that convention in an effort to start the SBC. Now, still quoting from the Baptist story on page 154, it says this, quote, in addition to citing the long history of slavery and the economic advantage it afforded, Baptists in the South regarded it slavery as legitimate because they read about it in the Bible. Both the Old and New Testaments provided instruction regarding the treatment of slaves, and neither testament contained a single verse that directly prohibited slavery. Passages such as Exodus 20 and 1 and Leviticus 25, 44 through 46, could not easily be dismissed uh, as belonging to the Jews only, since these references were echoed in Paul's instruction to the churches in Ephesians 6, 5, and Colossians 3.22. Now, Richard Furman, still quoting, Richard Furman in his 1822 address to the South Carolina legislature spoke for many Baptists in the South in this regard. He says this, and I quote, had the holding of slaves been a moral evil, it cannot be supposed that the inspired apostles who feared not the faces of men, and were ready to lay down their lives in the cause of their God, would have tolerated it for a moment in the Christian church End quote. so here you had a a a person who Richard Furman, who was in the legislature. And a Southern Baptist making the case for why, uh, you know, why the Bible, uh, and, and in particular in this instance, why the apostles thought that slavery uh, was okay. Now there were there were Southern Baptist apologists like Southern pastor Richard Fuller who interacted with Northern educators like Francis Wayland uh, in literary form to promote slavery. And you can find this work and examine those arguments in the book Domestic Slavery Considered as a Scriptural Institution by Finn and Harper. I, I want to encourage folk to go out, grab that book in particular, and look through those arguments. I've I've read excerpts of this book during my studies in Baptist history. Um, it was interesting what these how these men made their made their arguments for slavery. I think, again, any Christian believer should look at those and be ready to interact with those from a biblical point of view, a proper hermeneutic, and and looking at why why they were saying what they were saying and what we should be saying with regard to uh, context, looking at the context of the text they're using and and what the Bible has to say about those issues regarding slavery. I'm so curious, Daryl, to know your thoughts about that, about what we just talked about.
1: Yeah, just very briefly uh Omaha, you know, it's like I was saying earlier as I listened to you I was thinking man this is just as I was saying earlier mm-hmm. churches churches have been populated by sinners since Acts chapter 2, right? Okay, so I can dig it that the SBC was formed in 1845. I got you. <laughs> right, right. But but churches have been populated with sinners since Acts chapter 2, right? And and you know the 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 interesting thing is is that that's that's what the church does. The church calls sinners to join the church mm-hmm. by virtue of confessing faith in Christ, mm-hmm. and then the gospel does its work uh, within the hearts of people to regenerate them, to hopefully to obey the Lord, their 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 Lord now, who, who is now their Lord as 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 far as coming to faith in Him. It's like uh, Peter says in First Peter chapter one verse two that God called us by His foreknowledge to obey jesus christ and be sprinkled with his blood so it's not just a matter of salvation but also sanctification okay the two go together but again i just want to say again churches have been populated by sinners since acts chapter two and i'm sure this same hermeneutic applied to in my case bethlehem baptist church which was again goes back to 1823 but had to hold a vote four years later well, they did that because they had they they shared the same hermeneutic about slavery as the SBC did.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You
1: know, so 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 what we need to remember here is that churches and their associated denominations, as applicable anyway, are comprised of individuals first and foremost. Churches and denominations are comprised of individuals, which conversely, as it relates to a denomination like the SBC or any other, for that matter, means we are first and foremost dealing with the hearts of individuals, not a collective uh, denomination in that regard. That's We're so dealing good. with individual hearts here. That's a so denom- good. Right, right. So so a denomination statement of faith or statement of belief or confession of faith has no intrinsic power over the human heart. Zero. So, to whatever extent sinful ethnic prejudice was a factor in the formation of the SBC, and it obviously was, is attributable to the fall of man into sin, which you find in scripture in Genesis 3. This is no different. I really don't understand why the uh, sinful ethnic prejudice, which was a main factor, in the founding of the SBC, why is anyone surprised at that?
0: I, I just, man, and I, 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 man, I appreciate what you share there. I, I want to emphasize something that you keep hearing, Daryl, say, and that is that that this is an issue of sinful individuals. This is an issue of sinful individuals. We shouldn't be surprised if sinners are in our church because we're gonna we're gonna talk about, um, uh. Critical race theory and kind of the way that they want to morph us all into collectives. They want to morph right. us all into to our 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 sociopolitical groupings. They want to morph us into our ethnic grouping. They mm-hmm. want to morph and and in an effort to to have to have each group. Um, be dealt with in a specific way, either they're, mm-hmm. either they're the oppressor or the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to hear over and over again, as Daryl has continued to emphasize the fact that these are individuals who are making decisions based upon the sinful condition of their heart. And it is the gospel that transforms the heart uh, and causes folks to walk rightly in the manner in which God intended from the beginning. And so mm-hmm. Anyway, I could, I could walk through the checkered history of the SBC regarding the issue of slavery as well as church leaders to the point you made earlier who didn't allow blacks mm-hmm. to either join their church or allow blacks' roles in leadership within SBC circles. In fact, more recently, Southern Seminary, a Southern Baptist seminary, published a lengthy report called The Report on Slavery and Racism in the History of, the Southern, of, of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, this report covered some of the same kinds of issues that I've stated earlier uh, in my comments regarding the history of uh, the, the historic past of racism and comments that you've made previously as well. Now, if if you're if you're asking yourself this question, why why bring this up? You know, why do why do I even bring this up? I thought to do so in the same way that we discussed and handled these issues during our previous podcasts, like podcasts like the one we did on slavery reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, far be it from Daryl and I to discuss an issue and be accused of only seeing things in light of current day beliefs bestowed upon us as thankless beneficiaries of a past that we haven't investigated, right? Uh, in short, uh, and apart from an entire 174-year examination of every incident of historic racism in the SBC, I simply want our listeners as well as our detractors to know that that I've done my research on mm-hmm. this issue. Yep, I know the history of the SBC, and, and I further recognize that where the, to the point you made earlier, where there are men, even so-called Christian men, mm-hmm. These men have and will yep. sin against their brothers. Yep. Now for those for, for us to believe otherwise is at best to be unfamiliar with the biblical record of mankind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From this point, Daryl, I think it'd be best for us to pause for the calls, uh, to stop here uh, at this point and really allow our listeners to absorb uh, the content that we've knocked out so far. Um, hopefully they'll join us again for part two uh, in this series. We can't wait uh, for you to check back in with us on the next edition of the Just Thinking podcast.